Welcome to the Get With It podcast. I will be your host, Elizabeth. This podcast will focus on the decline of women in technology and how our grassroots organization works with the community to foster relationships and reducing the gap of women in tech. We will be talking with both men and women on how to continue to move the needle forward on those relationships. For more information, please check us out at getwitit.org. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Get With a Podcast. And today we have with us Angie, and I'm going to probably screw this last name up, Stitcher. Oh my gosh, you got it right. No Ooh. one ever does that on the first try. <laughs> really? I kind of work Very rare. I kind of worked on it. <laughs> Just practicing this morning to make sure I said it correctly. So, and but I can't say the Ursula, Ursleo, Ursulio, Ursulio. Okay, and um, we're going to learn all about your company. But first, we're going to learn all about EO and how you got into this world. And um, you don't have to start at birth. But <laughs> fast forward um, a little. <laughs> I'll fast forward it just slightly, um, and I'll do double speed for the really early part. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, so um, I grew up in a small town in Georgia and um, was one of the first people in my family to go to university because um, I knew that was really the best way for me to get out of that small town, first of all, and to really set myself up for. Where are you from? A good career. Um, LaGrange, Georgia. Oh, okay. I, I heard kind of a twinge. So. Oh, yeah. When I talk about Georgia, it gets worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I um, originally wanted to be a veterinarian, and so I applied for, I know, <laughs> talk about a change. Uh, so I applied at Auburn University and Purdue University because those were the top vet schools. I um, chose Auburn because it would allow me to be close to my family so I could still work for my mom on the weekends and make money. Um, put myself through school. Uh, quickly learned that veterinary medicine was not for me and um, really was kind of rudderless in terms of a major for a little bit and tried a few different things, including some sociology um, rural studies, and then eventually um, talked to a friend of mine who was in the management information systems program in the business administration. Um, cool. See that so, potential vet right there? Do you hear the dog? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm surprised you can't hear mine. She's snoring pretty loudly. Oh, um, the joys of being at home. Right? Uh, yeah, so I didn't really know, know what I wanted to do to, with my life. Felt like I'd been in school, you know, I was on the five-year program at that point and just wanted to figure out what I needed to do. And the business administration side of the MIS program at Auburn really appealed to me because I could learn so many different skill sets. Um, I learned to code, I learned to program in COBOL and Visual Basic because those were hot oh, at the time, the late COBOL. 90s. I know. <laughs> Throwback. <laughs> it is, it shows your age for sure. Uh, and yeah, so I graduated and all the big jobs were at really older companies and energy companies uh, in the South, in Birmingham, Alabama, or in Atlanta. And I wanted something more exciting than that. 
had some friends in the Bay Area. And when I visited them, they said, all the jobs are here for you. You need to move here. You can live with us until you get yourself set up. So that's what I did. And that's how I got to the Bay Area. And um, really struggled with figuring out what I wanted to do. At the end of the day, programming did not appeal to me. I'm much more of an extrovert. So sitting in front of a terminal and, and being in a coding cocoon did not appeal to me at all. So I took a took a beat and talked to some recruiters and staffing agencies and decided to just start from the bottom as a lot of people did at that time and work in tech support. So I started in tech support and really started to grow my network from there. So every, every jump that I've had has, has really been informed by my support and my network. So I left the tech support gig and went to a scanner company called UMAX where I moved out of tech support into uh, technical marketing. So I interfaced with magazines to understand so that they would, you know, give us good reviews, understood the product, all of those things. And when my manager left there and went to Palm, she was like, you have to come with me. I need you to help me do this new program. And the new program was the licensing certification program for the Palm OS. So this was at a moment when Sony and Handspring and all of these other companies were starting to make Palm OS-based devices, and we need to have some sort of a certification program that gives them the ability, the quality stamp, really, that we approve of their product. So we set that up, and that was really when my career started to take off, and I really started to understand what I, what I wanted. Um, I did licensing certification, I would say probably about a year and a half and got pretty, um, got to the point where I knew how to do everything and I wasn't feeling challenged any longer. So I was having conversations with my boss about looking for something to do. Hello. Kind of, <laughs> kind of can't take that many coffee breaks. Um, and eventually, you know, talked to his manager who I had, I'd been at the company for a little bit. So I had had built a relationship with him and so talked to my director and said, I'm really not feeling challenged and I really want to know what else is out there. And I, you know, given that I've been running a program, maybe I should be thinking about being in the program office and running software programs internally. So he put, you know, really there was a junior position that was half-time position, so I tried it, and it quickly became full-time, and, and that's really where I got my legs. Well, that's exciting. I love that you, like, put it out there for him. Yeah, I think that was a lesson that I've learned early in my career is that when it, when it doesn't feel right, it's not right, and you don't always really understand why it's not right. Sometimes you just like, oh, this just my gut's not feeling this right now. And that's where I, again, I'm, I'm going to continue to point to that network is really key. Cause even if you don't understand what's happening and, and why you're not feeling something, if you have a trusted colleague or a trusted advisor or mentor that you can just bounce things off of and say, you know, I'm just really not getting this right now. Either I don't like it or it's not enough. What do you think? And just having someone to really Set those things out and understand yourself, I think, is really key, is critical. And it's not anything to be ashamed of or 
like afraid of to say to your boss. I think a lot of people are afraid to say to their boss, especially women, like, especially women. Yes. Kind of stick up for themselves, I guess is the best word. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know what that really stems from. I don't know if it's, if it's a fear that there will be some sort of negativity associated with that, which is, you know, we, we talk about not feeling challenged because really when someone's bored or, or not, not doing a good job at their job, there's something going on there. And a lot of the time if it is that they don't feel challenged or, you know, sometimes it could be something's going on in their personal life. So as a manager, you know, I always, when someone's struggling, first kind of figure out if it's, you know, something that's business related or personal that's impacting them and then really have that conversation that is, you know, what's, what's going on? Why, why aren't you feeling this now? You were, especially someone who is a high performer who takes a downturn. I really do start to think that they become complacent and Mm -hmm. I agree and bored really for for lack of a better way of saying it. But see, you took a step forward by kind of reaching out for help. Whereas a lot, um, I feel like a lot of women would just stay in that complacent spot and just be like, well, I'm good at this. And I, you know, there's not that, I don't know. I like to call it that risk, take that risk and jump out of your comfort zone. So. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I think for me personally, when I'm not challenged, I get lazy. I don't, you know, I become demotivated. I don't look forward to going to work. I, yeah, I just become really, I just phone it in. And that's, that doesn't feel good in my body when that's happening. And it's not something I'm proud of. So I want to be in a position where I can do things that I'm proud of. So I've always, you know, really built this support network and structure for myself that has really helped and guided me. So when I, did kind of get to the point where at Palm I was exceeding in program management and I became the program manager to run these massive operating system releases. I got to that point again where, okay, now I know what my job's going to be day in and day out from now on until eternity. And it no longer excited me. I knew I could do it. You know, it's just, I, I didn't feel there was anywhere else for me to go. So I, put it out to my network that I was again feeling that I wasn't challenged and wanting to do something that was more technical and deeper into the engineering organization. And um, a trusted advisor told me about a position at Apple. She had worked at Apple previously. And it's kind of a thing in the Valley where, you know, at some point you're going to work at Apple. (laughs) Sometimes people go there two and three different times. Sometimes people never leave. Um, but we say that about crazy. nationwide out here in the Midwest. Oh, yeah. It's like some point in your life, you will work at nationwide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very similar with Apple. Yeah. People start at Apple. People end at Apple. It's, everybody does a stint at Apple and software and product. Um, so I interviewed for that role at Apple and got it. And it was really deep in the um, operating system technologies. And so I had, a lot to learn. And I think the manager that I had there was one of the best that I've ever had. And unfortunately, she was only my manager for a small window because we had a massive reorg and 
I got moved and shuffled around, but that, that, it was really a critical time because she gave me the building blocks that not only set me up for success, but also were things that as I grew and became a people manager and then a manager of managers, it was, those were lessons that I took with me and instilled in my own people. And that is, listen, take the time in your first month, 30 days, whatever it is, six weeks, listen, assess, build a rapport, go meet everyone that you think you'll ever need to work with and start to build a rapport with them and understand how they do their jobs so that when you need something, you, you understand where they're coming from. So if they say, no, you're not taking it personally, you understand, and you can even approach them and say, Hey, I, I know that this is how you guys work, but we need this in this amount of time. Can we figure out a way to do this together? And it really creates a, a cohesive team um, enhances communication. And those are things that I tell my own people, even still to this day, listen, assess, and ask questions. Because eventually people are not going to be too pleased with you when you're asking those silly questions a right. year and a half into your, into your role. Um, That's good advice for anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, I was a project manager at Apple and uh, quickly became one of the more senior people on that team. And my boss at the time was, was thinking of retiring. And so I, when she did, I went for her job and got it and grow that, grew that organization, um, which was really not just program management and project management, but QA and test engineering and a lot of DevOps related activities. And I took that organization when I got it at six people to over 60 by the time I left. Wow. Um, our organization was, yeah, it was quite a growth spurt. Um, that was around the time that we were making the iPhone and going into these new territories with iPhones and iPads and then watches. So the support structure needed to be much larger because the engineering staff had grown exponentially as well. Yeah. So, wow. Well, that's exciting. So you, you worked at Apple. Yeah, I worked at Apple for that's about like, 10 years. Probably not like people in your area probably are like, like we do with nationwide, right? Like if you said that out here in the Midwest, people would be like, Ooh, Apple. That's so cool. Yeah. Right. Like how I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas in your area, it's like the norm. Some degree, yeah. I, I do think that um, people do kind of get, you know, a little googly eyed when you say you worked at Apple, especially when you say you worked there for a decade or more. Yeah. Because um, they're just like, it's unfathomable in this area to work that long at a place. Most people work at companies for, you know, five years or so and then move on. Um, but at Apple, it's, you know, there are people that are there 10 years, 20 years, even 30 years. Um, some people were interns and never left. My partner, in fact, was an intern and is still there um, and has been there for 15 years. So. Oh my gosh, really? Wow. 15 actually this year. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Not like it's go. crazy. Well, yeah, but it's even, even though it's a big company, it evolves and changes. And as I said, this is when we were going from a software company and a, and a hardware computer company to personal devices. And that was a big change. And a, it felt like many different companies over the course of that 10 years. It wasn't just 
you know, this one monolithic Titanic ship that everybody was moving around on it. It was, it was it constantly changing and evolving. And it made it very exciting to work there. That sounds fun. So, okay. Yeah. So, but you now. Yeah. So I, on, uh, uh, now tell me Ursulio. Ursulio. Yeah. Two constellations. Two constellations. Uh, Look at that. Yeah. So, so <laughs> Ursa, it's named after Ursa Major or Ursa Minor and um, Leo. So early in our plan for Ursa Leo, we thought about doing design services. We started working with a, a Russian based uh, firm that we thought we could contract out and we went to visit them and they served as bear dumplings and you know Californian recently not vegetarian any longer <laughs> I was like very concerned about where the bear was sourced oh god, <laughs> oh, god. <laughs> so uh, that became kind of one of our stories and this was at a time so early on that we didn't have a name for the company and um, our CEO's wife you know, that story became kind of lore for us. And my CEO, co-founder and I, were both Leo's. His birthday was last Thursday. Mine was Friday. Oh, well, um, happy right birthday. There. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, she said, what about Ursa for there and Leo? Because you're both Leo's. And, and we thought, huh. And, that, and by that point, we had kind of moved past the phase of thinking we were going to do design services. We were just thinking yeah, that's going to be too much work. That's, that's going to be a lot of, well, just getting clients and, you know, building a client base. Was that really something we wanted to do so late in our career? Um, one of the reasons I left Apple is because there were a lot of changes coming and I wasn't really sure I had the energy for it anymore. I had worked really, really hard. And so I decided to take a break and just really figure out what I wanted and met John, my co-founder. And you know, shared stories and became really good friends. And when he decided to leave his company and he approached me about doing something, I was like, yeah, let's, let's figure out what we want to do. That's normally how and it all happens, right? It, yeah. It's, it's funny. It's throughout my career, it's been very organic that way that things present themselves. And I think, you know, when you, I'm, I'm lucky in that I don't have a problem speaking to people um, and, and striking up conversations. Uh, I think a lot of times it can be very frustrating, especially for women when you don't have that kind of extroverted personality to be right. able to feel comfortable to talk to people. So I think it's really important, even more so for uh, introverted personalities to really build up that support base of people that they do feel comfortable talking to. Um, even if it's not your direct manager or you know, it could just be your friend who's in a, a similar space. But that's really, really critical. And yeah, so John and I started this company and we pivoted. We did a few small pivots in the early days. As I said, we thought about doing design services because we're so experienced. We thought we could help a lot of the small startups in San Francisco and then decided that that didn't really feel like something that could hold our interest for a very long time. And it would be a lot of work for not a lot of reward, you know, intellectually. So we started going out to our extended networks and really talking to them about what their customers were experiencing and how their customers were feeling pain. And in the hardware industry in particular, 
they were really getting to the point where they were putting IoT capabilities in pieces of hardware. But instead of having, you know, I came from a, an operating system background. So I think of everything in terms of you have one piece of software that goes broadly. And that was not happening. And so businesses were getting tied to particular vendors because they were getting stuck in their branded IoT that didn't talk to anything. So we came up with the idea of doing a more generic IoT solution. So we started down that path, um, created it successfully and launched it, and then realized that it didn't feel like a game changer. It didn't feel like something that could grow quickly and people were going to be drawn to. And there were and I still are a lot of generic IoT solutions. Some of them are student oriented, some of them are hobbyist oriented, and we really wanted to be that mid-sized to large facility product. And we were not seeing that traction. And because and, again, all of those companies, if they were in that space already and had IoT capable equipment, they were, they were all in on whatever vendor they had. So we, um, had a member of the team who had a really strong 3D background and started talking about how we can visualize differently and get out of reports and reams of paper. And like literally people would tell us that companies would tell us that they would print out the reports that they saw on screen, print them out and pour over them to be able to see how this system over here interacted with that system over there because they didn't talk to each other. So we thought, okay, we can, yeah. So we thought we could take that same strategy of providing an all knowing, all seeing, but then add this 3D capability and visualization on top of it that would really minimize training, assist in training and give a full picture, you know, a full digital command center into a piece of machinery or a site or a building, what have you. So, okay, so I, um, I pulled up your website because I always like to be nosy and <laughs> check it out. So you take data and you put it in a 3D form, correct? Correct. Yeah, so we take, uh, we can use a CAD model or photos and measurements or blueprints, anything that we can use to start to build the digital image. and using that we put it into um it's really it's like the gamification of modern facilities so it feels like a game and people are games are so ubiquitous now everybody knows how to play them every single my mom plays the games that i play <laughs> so it's so intuitive to the user because the game it's game control she like you your arrow uh, she a uh, uh, candy crusher <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think so. Yes. She's, my dad is definitely more into the word games. My mom is much more into like the bejeweled and you oh, know, that okay. sort of yeah. candy crush sort of vibe. But we thought that that, you know, it's so everyone knows how to use games now that they'll be able to really quickly and easily figure it out. We going kind of back to my days at Apple in terms of making things so intuitive that you don't need documentation. When people turn it on, they know what to do with it. So taking all of these bits and pieces from my past experiences to really hone in on a product. And I think once we did that, 
we really started to gel and take off. And especially now during COVID, it's really appealing to people because they can do that remote monitoring and see exactly what's happening on the site without having to get out and go to a facility and interact with other people. So, so I'm, I'm assuming you're clearly working at home. Oh yes. Oh yes. We've, we've been working at home this whole time um, just because we want to remain as lean as possible. Oh, okay. So you're yeah. a home base. So when COVID hit yeah. it, this whole communication thing was probably not new. No, it was definitely not, not new for us. We've been using Zoom and Google Hangouts and Google Meet for this whole time um, and had an office that with a conference room that where we would meet clients and obviously we don't need that anymore. Right. Um, okay, yeah, so, so COVID didn't really change anything for us. I'm curious on how, how, do, you, how do you pitch what you, what you build? Um, you know, people really, can't wrap their head around this kind of, like I was reading your website and I'm like, oh my God, there's, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it is interesting because people don't think of industrial spaces and games as similar places. Right. And so you really can't, you've got to find a way to bridge that gap. So the best way that we have found to do it is to show them. So we have demos that show, you know, this is an oil rig and this is what's happening on that oil rig. And we have a, a, a model of that facility as well. And so you can see on the tanks what's happening real time. We did it with Raspberry Pis just to have a visual indicator. And then you can then see what's happening side by side. So we have a model, a physical model of the gas facility and then we also have the 3d model on the screen and we can show what's happening going back and forth and that's been the easiest way to pitch um when we're able to do that so like conferences before COVID and all of that we would we would use that strategy and similarly in in pitch events we would do demos as well and we have a winery pilot that we did with a really great winery called Thomas George up in Sonoma County and they're really interested in, you know, looking at humidity and heat in the summer as it affects wine barrels and wine storage. They have these beautiful concrete eggs that they do some of their wines in instead of barrels. So we tapped into that to really show them what in, in various spaces in the cellar, what the humidity changes were and what the climate changes were. And then we can also do air quality um, as in, you know, unfortunately in California, we have a lot of forest fires that strike up um, in that area is one that's affected. And so air quality was something they wanted to start to monitor that they were unable to monitor. So we were able to give them that capability. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you get samples? Yeah. So we, that's all. Yes. Okay. <laughs> there's got to be. One of the perks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's got to be a perk here. Yeah. I've. Yeah, I'm a wine club member there and have been for a long time. So I was, I was lucky enough to already have a, a relationship with them. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you already got the been perks. interesting. Yeah, got the perks. Got the perks. So, okay. So, how many people do you like work with? Um, right now, we're approaching ten. We're getting, you know, we're kind of past that. Um, little like 
single digit number and getting towards the double digit number, which is an exciting time for us. Um, we've been doing this for a little over three years and a lot of the time it's just been three or four people doing it at once. Um, so it's, it's really, I'm excited to see the team grow. We just hired a business development manager um, over the manufacturing unit in the Midwest. Oh, wow. Um, Alina, yeah, um, Alina. So she's a recent uh, MBA from Michigan, and she's growing out that whole organization. So I'm excited to see what she can do. And another business uh, person up in Portland just came on board. So really focusing now on growing the market and, and reaching out to customers and yeah, and building up our engineering base right now is really our critical focus. I'm a, a native of Michigan. Um, I did not graduate Hi. from Michigan University. I am a Spartan, so we're actually rivalries here and I. So, <laughs> Uh-oh. I believe Be nice. the green and white. <laughs> he does not. <laughs> yeah, not so much. No. <laughs> So, well, that's exciting. Is she, now, is she still located in Michigan to take care of the Midwest, or is she doing that yeah, all? Yeah, we. Um, she's located in Michigan. Um, we think it's really important for for all of the markets that we have in the business units around those markets to be in the area with the hottest focus. So, for us, manufacturing made the most sense to be in the Midwest. That's where a lot of the manufacturing jobs are. That's where all this manufacturing companies tend to be located um yeah so it's a, a hot spot and we really wanted somebody there who could form relationships um and build from there because relationships are really critical it's normally how you get the business through the really yeah especially when yeah especially when it's an area where they don't know technology mm -hmm. and so having someone there who they can relate to and has they know you know, kind of has the same Midwestern values. It's really important to them. Uh, you know, the sassy little startup out of San Francisco coming in would be like, um, where <laughs> someone who's, you know, in the same area and understands the challenges of that area in many different facets is, is really, we think, the best way to, to build a base there. Yeah, yes, definitely. So do you have a, since you're a startup and you're, three years old, what's the plan for growth? Um, we're about to be on a revenue path. So that's pretty exciting. We're about to start to see a lot of growth in our revenue. Um, we've been taking private investment to date and doing loans from the founders. So that's been propping us up to date. And yeah, we're pretty excited to see that, that revenue path because we think it's going to open a lot of doors for us. We're not really sure right now if we're going to follow the, you know, the, the tried and true VC style of fundraising. Um, we've just seen a lot of a lot of things going on with VCs, especially during COVID, that maybe we think we want to be really mindful in how we choose who we work with, um, so that really understand. And thankfully, I. I think our business being kind of COVID resistant and pandemic resistant is going to do nothing but help us. Oh yeah. And we'll, we'll be able to determine, you know, kind of pick and choose what we want to do in terms of funding going forward. But being on a path to revenue is really going to be a game changer for us. And it's, you know, it's, it's very exciting. It's 
scary and exciting at the same time. Which Congratulations, always right? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so you got this great company moving forward. What do you do when you're not busy? Um, I have two dogs. Uh, one snoring by you, but one here, here. One snoring, yeah, one snoring upstairs, one snoring by me. Um, we what adopted. Um, one is they're both staffy mixes. One is a pug staffy mix, American Staffordshire, and the other is a lab staffy. Okay. So they're one's one's a little puggy and one's a big labby. So <laughs> <laughs> they keep us busy. Uh, the the puppy is the Staffy Lab, and she's just recently turned two, and she's she's a lot of energy. She's just a big ball of love and energy. She needs a job. We have to give her work all the time. Um, so she keeps us pretty busy and on our toes because she's she's a lot. Um, yeah, and I'm always looking for uh, women's organizations and ways to engage with women in the community. Um, the break that I took in between Apple and Arcelio, I promised myself I would take six months off to really rest and figure out what I wanted to do and ended up not being able to do that because I'm, I guess, a busy body. And, <laughs> and I, needed, I needed something to focus my attention on. And I've lived in this neighborhood in the Castro District of San Francisco for a while and wanted to be a more part of that community. So I wanted to bring more arts into our neighborhood and be, be part of the business community. So I opened an art gallery with a friend of mine. And once I started Ursulio, I couldn't do both. So, you know, understood that I had to give that completely over to her. But one thing that grew out of that, that is something that I work on in my spare time, not right now during COVID, but will again, hopefully in the future, is uh, I started an art walk in our neighborhood with oh, area, area artists. Yeah. Area artists and area businesses come together and then, you know, citizens can come around and, and community members can come around and look at the art and engage with the business owner. We're very much a village here. So there's a lot of small businesses, a lot of, a lot of businesses where the owner is the staff. <laughs> so really, <laughs> really creating that atmosphere where the community knows the people that they're spending money with. Um, so they're less likely to, you know, go online and buy goods when they can walk around the corner and they know the person at the store. We do that here. We have um, in Columbus. I live outside of Columbus, but um, downtown Columbus does like a gallery walk um, at the yeah. first of every month. But clearly they haven't been able to do it because of the whole COVID thing. So, yeah, um, yeah, they're very, very popular. Yeah, I think it's a really good thing for our neighborhood and it's really good for our small businesses. It's really good for the community. It gives them something to do that, you know, um, it really activates a different part of your brain to engage with art. And it's not something that people were, were doing in our neighborhood and, and a few galleries moved in and um, we started to build this artist space. And now we have all of these beautiful murals in our neighborhood. One of the things that was, happening with COVID is that everyone's boarding up their businesses because they're going to be sitting stagnant for quite some time. And a group came in called Paint the Void and they started to paint murals on all of, yeah, all of the wood. It was, it's, it's really beautiful. It's, 
it's sad to see our businesses not being able to engage with us, but you know, in this interim time, it's really nice to be able to look at something beautiful. So do you have, um, let's see, because we're pre-taping this, what is the situation out there in California about COVID? I mean, is life going to eventually get back to normal? So today's August 11th. So are they? Yeah, it's, it's, well, for one thing, I, I think more than ever, I'm so happy to live in San Francisco. I think our mayor has been doing a bang up job of, I know it's frustrating to our businesses, but really looking at the numbers and saying, okay, we can open up. And then when those numbers spike, okay, let's pull back. Um, and I think that has been really successful in helping at least San Francisco and the greater Bay Area from having a swell of cases. And, you know, California is a big state. So our numbers on the national stage probably look pretty scary, but those are, you know, we're such a huge state. Right. It's in pockets. Um, and San Francisco, thankfully, is is trending in the right direction. And we we feel you know, as we, we hear and see cases coming in, we become more and more, you know, reticent to go outside and engage with people and get back to a normal way of life. And I think all of us have been, and my neighbor, I live in a really small neighborhood and we've all been very focused on keeping masks on and staying distant. And, you know, we've really built up this great community. We already had a great community on, on our block, but with this, we are very much like a 1950s neighborhood in terms <laughs> of sharing sugar and sharing yeast and all of these things. It's been, it's been interesting, but it's, it's tough. It's really tough to say when we'll be able to get back to, you know, quote unquote normal life. And this hasn't affected really your business or has it because you haven't been able to meet one on one? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of internally, we had been pretty net, you know, remote for, for quite some time. And we would get together, you know, once a week in person and, and just to have that relationship. Um, so that's been stressful to not be able to have that. So we've been looking for different ways of engaging with one another. We're starting up. Um, Alina actually recommended that we have a, a happy hour every week. So we're going to start having happy hours so we can kind of you know, oh, let she's back on my positive bit. list now. <laughs> you can tell her that. <laughs> okay, I'll let her know. She just went to the, uh, all the way back to the, okay, this girl's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think that's going to be really good for us to have that rapport outside of just meetings. You know, we can kind of cut loose a little bit, tell, tell jokes and, and laugh. And I think that laughter is really key right now. Oh, so key. For everybody's sanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really, seriously. Well, that's fun. Now, on a business, so do you just like Zoom call like this with potential clients and do kind of a demo? Or are you having any struggles with potential clients because of not being able to meet um, we, we haven't really noticed it. In fact, you know, the summer season is usually pretty slow in terms of getting new clients and we've what we've seen is really the opposite of that july and august have been one you know some of our busiest months in terms oh, of great. new customers hearing about us so i think you know one thing the pandemic is doing is really turning that sort of vacation schedule on its head 
So it's not really impacting the summer months as much as it typically does when people are kind of taking off and traveling and we're not really seeing that slowdown. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think our business, if anything, is, is being looked at as a way to engage during COVID and, and you know, and future pandemics and things that are going to happen. It's, it's really allowing people to look at things remotely without having to get involved. And what we want to do eventually is get to the point where people can engage with their hardware from that remote spot and not even have to go out in the field and not even have to go and engage with others and, oh, or wow. even, you know, yeah. And have a system operator talk to, you know, the boots on the ground and, and talk through things because they're looking at the same thing. So we think it's actually, you know, only, only helping our business weirdly um, and weird to say that, but it's, we're, we're really kind of pandemic agnostic I guess. Like we're just, it's just not gonna good to know hopefully it won't affect us yeah good to know when you continue to grow right yeah a little pandemic Resistant, yeah <laughs> so all right so we need a website and I um it's u-r-s-a-l-e-o.com yes correct okay and if um, some of our listeners are interested, they can just go to the contact and leave information. And I'm assuming yes, absolutely. somebody gets back to that. Go to, go to the contact page and we'll, we'd be happy to talk about what we can do to, you know, we really, really can model anything from a building to a piece of hardware. So the possibilities are really endless. Okay. So then the key takeaway though, is you're taking data I like that you said blueprint because once you said a blueprint, like I thought of a house and then I was like, Oh, that's cool because they take a blueprint and then they kind of make a, like a little model of your house. Absolutely. And then, then the, like the buyer knows now what their house is going to look like. Cause on a blueprint, you really don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Cause it's too, there's no, there's nothing. Yeah, so it, it is ba- basically taking that those measurements and those blueprints and creating an interactive 3D experience. So you can, you know, zoom in, zoom out, walk around, um, set alerts. You know, if, if there is data being collected, we can model it and put it onto um, a 3D representation. Yeah, because people think, I, I mean, I think better in a 3D than just a flat... It's sometimes oh, yeah. envision, I guess, is the best word to use. It is. It, it really is because that's not how we interact with the world. We don't interact in a 2D world. We, no. you know, we want to walk around something and understand how big it is and see, you know, how many pictures have we seen where there's like something with a quarter sitting next to it <laughs> because right. we need to have some sort of scale. Um, so we are able to do that scale for them without having to have a quarter sitting, <laughs> sitting next to it. That really yeah what about though do you um so that you like do this on a program right it's on the yes. computer yeah you're not like like 3d printing or do you 3D no print no we don't do any 3d printing it's just 3d modeling that goes that shows on a computer screen or a tablet um we like the mobility you can bring it up in any browser and show you know anyone at any time just logging in and, and showing exactly what's going on at the facility or with piece of hardware okay so it's all on a program that you have on 
your whatever desktop. Yes, it's whatever. web. It's, yeah, it's web based, and eventually we will have native applications for iOS and Android. Oh, okay, okay. I took a class. I graduated um, with just an associate's degree in architect technology, and I used CAD. Mm -hmm. And that's talk about old school. That's I don't know if they do they use that. Yeah. Oh, they do. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's all computer now, though. It's uh, it's yeah. So we use CAD drawings, so we can take CAD drawings and blueprints, or even just photos and measurements. Um, we have one client where we're putting together just off of photos of the of the site and trying to build the models that way. Off of so photos. Really, yeah. Yeah, and in the winery, we did it off of photos and, and measurements. We literally took uh, tape measures and light measures and, and did took pictures and videos, and that's how we recreated the winery model. So on the splash page of our, 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 our homepage, parkleo.com, uh, in the background there is, is the winery model that we created, and that was strictly this, from photos and measurements. This white and blue and orange? Let me pull it up. Yeah, so in the background behind our intro advanced user interface using photorealistic 3D twins, all yeah. of those measurements in the background are from the winery. So all those are all things that we can measure within that facility. Holy um, moly. Yeah. Total volatile organic compounds, temperature, humidity, air pressure, UV. UV is less interesting for this experience, but uh, yeah. And you can see in the background now those. The, you can see wine barrels and those concrete eggs I was mentioning. Those are all just off of photos and measurements that we took, and we were able to create that scene. Holy moly, that's awesome! Wow. Jeez. Okay. Well, if anybody needs their data in 3D, they should call you. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> for sure. So yeah, we're we're happy to help. You're um, U R S A L E O dot com. So that's crucial. That's where you want to make sure. I went under. I went under, I was poking around. I went all over and everything. So, um, <laughs> well, I was looking at the products and then, so that's really cool. That whole, so this is like their dashboard. People can't see this, but is this mm -hmm. the dashboard that they kind of work off of? Yes. Yeah. So, um, right, right now we have it playing as a video to kind of show the interaction as you move through the scene. Um, it's it's really static when you log in and then you control your experience using um, either your keyboard on a computer or eventually on your tablet or um, Android device you can use a native application so you can have the full touch capability of zoom in pinch. Wow that's cool that's cool well look at you just changing the world yeah, we're, we're pretty excited. We think this is something that we can bring to industries that have been really hesitant to 
to do technology because they don't understand it or it's expensive or they don't have the support structure in place for it. And we think this is a way we can bring it to them. That's really, you know, a really low bar to entry for them. Wow. Well, this is great. Well, I thank you. I know you're a busy lady. I don't want to take a book too much of your time, but um, this is some interesting stuff. And um, I hope um, your girl from Michigan, she's probably a native Michigan dear, and so she got right in my book. Uh, Charity has a, a plus because of the happy hour. So um, she, that's thumbs up there. So yeah. I hope exciting times for you and your growth. This is awesome. And yeah. before you know it, you'll be in my side of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait till we can get back to travel and, and I can visit the Midwest again. That yes, would be really lovely. <laughs> Have you, now do, you said you're from Georgia. I'm from Georgia. But yeah, do, one of his family still one of my, there? Yes. My entire family is still there. Oh, I'm okay. really, um, I have a niece in Florida, but everyone else is still in Georgia or just across the border in Alabama. Um, but I love the Midwest. My my dearest friend, who's like a sister to me, lives there right outside of Chicago. So I do get oh. there pretty regularly. And my partner, uh, his parents live in Indiana. So oh. I get there quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. So you, you know the Midwest. Oh, yeah. Very familiar. Oh, yeah. There you go. All right. Well, this was awesome. Thank you for taking the time. You're so busy. Thank and you. Um, you kind of got like elected for this, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I was so, <laughs> so funny because I, uh, my, my PR team, I love them. They're amazing. Larkin Volpat. Um, they're just stellar and they put me forth to this and I was like, I don't really have anything to say. And then we start talking and I realized, wow, I have a lot to say. <laughs> you don't realize it until you get in here and then you're like, you Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, all good things, all good things. Well, I'm so glad you said yes to chatting today, yeah. even though you were kind of forced, but. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for going easy on me. It's been lovely. Oh, really well, this has. has been fantastic. And I thank you for your time. And I wish you so much luck and congratulations on the growth. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing you explode all over the place. And then, and when we come out West, forget with it, we'll have to have you come in and talk about all the amazing things you're doing. That would be amazing. That's so, awesome. Fingers crossed. We're growing too. So I'm hoping. Yeah. <laughs> Go us. Oh, us. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. And I appreciate your time and have a wonderful rest of your day and try to take some time for yourself. Thank you. Thank you, right. Elizabeth. Thanks for chatting. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. We will see you next time. And feel free to drop us a line at getwitit.org.